In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, our Lord Jesus, who's present here in the Blessed Sacrament, just a few feet from each one of us, has a conversation with Martha right after her brother Lazarus died and right before our Lord eventually brings her to life. And in the course of that conversation, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, he who is coming into the world. A tremendous statement from Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That, Lord Jesus, belief in you overcomes death. It overcomes the worst thing that the world can throw at us. And that we're destined in him to be happy as much as possible on this earth, but then also forever and ever and ever in heaven. Do you believe this? Dear Lord, do I believe in you? Do I believe in Jesus Christ? And what do we have to believe about Jesus Christ? Well, the, the creed, the Nicene Creed that we recite every week in the Mass gives us the essentials. That Jesus, you are God. That you are the Son of God. That you're equal to God. But also that you're fully human, incarnate of the Virgin Mary. And then he redeemed us by dying on the cross and rising again. That's what we celebrate this whole Easter season, right? the resurrection of our Lord. Jesus is alive. Those are the essentials. And, but what does it mean to believe, Lord? Is it just to say yes to those truths? Like, do you believe that these are facts about Jesus, facts about God? Yes, I believe that's important, but it has to be more personal than that, right? Because otherwise we can reduce our faith to just a kind of a set of truths, a set of ideas or facts that are kind of outside of us. They're not very personal. And we can end up thinking, oh, what does it mean to be a good Catholic? Or what does it mean to be a good Catholic? Well, I kind of know, right? I have to go to Mass on Sunday. I have to go to confession every once in a while, especially if I mess up too bad. Don't want to go to hell which is great practice, don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, I have to think a certain way about like pro-life issues. I have to be serious about marriage. I can't get drunk, right? I have to be careful with girls before marriage. Uh, stay away from pornography, right? It's like, okay, then if I do all that, and go to church and say yes to the catechism and the teachings of the church, I'm Catholic. I'm a good Catholic. But all of that is true. Don't get me wrong. That's all good, true, and important. Everything I said is good, 
true and important, at least so far. Maybe I'll say something stupid later, but anyway. Um, but it's empty. It's empty without the relationship, without some sort of vital need for Christ. Do you believe this? Are you living the life that will lead you to eternal life? And so Jesus, who has those apostles who he called one by one by name, and Lord, you call each one of us one by one by name to be your disciples. At one point in the gospel, he asked them, and you, who do you say that I am? Who am I for you? What do I mean for you? What role do I play in your life, really? And the letter to the Hebrews tells us, Lord, that you are the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, now, and forever. Which is so important because even if we say, yes, it's true that he was God. Yes, it's true that he died on the cross. Yes, it's true that he rose again. Those aren't things that we say just in the past tense. As someone who did something for us historically that still matters, like, you know, what George Washington did still matters because we still live in the country that he helped found. And what Abraham Lincoln did still matters because the slaves are still free, right? There's no slavery in this country anymore. And you might say something like that about Jesus. What Jesus did in time on the cross still matters, but it's not really present with us, just his effects. And that's wrong. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, now, and forever. He's alive in the Eucharist. He's alive in our hearts. He's someone still very present, present in a really interesting, mysterious, and super important way. Right? When you think about how Jesus describes his relationship to us, Lord, when you describe your relationship with us in your own words in the Gospels, which are a record of what Jesus said and did, he describes it in a way that's like vital, I'm the bread of life. And if you eat of this bread, you will live forever. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Our life as Christians is in Christ and his life as Christ is in us. I am the vine, you are the branches. And if we're connected to you, Lord, vitally connected to you in a state of grace and trying to do your will and trying to live a prayer life, you say, if we're connected to you, who's the true vine and we are the branches, We will bear much fruit. We'll help a lot of people. We'll be an inspiration to others. We'll be dependable for our family and our friends. We'll make an impact on the world, a Christian impact on history and the world. But if you're separated from me, right, if you go, want to go do your own thing and compromise with what everyone else is doing and whatever, just be another face in the crowd, well, you'll wither up and die. Right? Our relationship with Christ is like all or nothing. We're connected and we bear fruit, or we're disconnected and we wither up and die. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus says in the same discourse. I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus also says, I am the good shepherd and we're the sheep. Right? Sheep are totally dependent on the shepherd. Where are they going to eat? Are they going to be protected? Where are they going to sleep? Right? Where they go? It all depends on the leader and the shepherd. And so to believe in Jesus is not just to believe in a historical figure who gave us certain truths, who founded certain institutions, which are still super very important. No, it's to have this kind of vital, necessary, permanent, constant 
relationship with him, which is, um, which is incredibly important and incredibly constant. And it's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between eternal life and eternal sadness. And happiness and fruitfulness in this life are just kind of futility in this life. And so Jesus turns to us and says, who do you say that I am? Are you trying to make me that, all that for you? Am I all that for you? And the answer is, no, Lord, I'm not. <laughs> and I don't. I'm, well, maybe I'm trying, right? We want to try. Or maybe, I, Lord, I haven't realized that yet. And I need your grace to take you more seriously. To meet you more personally in my prayer. To confront different aspects of my life with what you expect of me and who you are for me. And how do we do that? Well, you know, prayer, spiritual direction, sacraments. We have all these ways of meeting the living Christ. Right? Christ is alive in the Eucharist. Meet him there. Christ is alive in your prayer. Meet him there. Christ is alive in the Gospels. Read about him and meet him there. Reflect on it. Take it to your, take it to your prayer. Christ is alive in the lives of the saints. Read the saints' lives and read their teachings and be inspired by them, be instructed by them. I read a book, I think it was last summer. I might have told you guys about this already. But I read a book last summer, which was about this guy who met David Goggins. David Goggins is this Navy SEAL who is also an endurance athlete. And he's famous for his super Spartan way of life. He loves being in pain, <laughs> kind of challenging himself. Uh, mentally, physically, cardiovascularly, above all, I think. And so this guy met him, and he said, hey, um, can you move into my house and train me for a month? And this guy had a wife and a little baby, and he said, can you move him to our apartment and live with me, be my personal trainer for a month? And so David Goggins said, sure, but there's one condition. Guy says, yeah, what's the condition? Says, you do whatever I say, no questions asked, no matter what, no matter when. And so the guy was like, okay. <laughs> so, so David Goggins moves into his house. He's living in the bedroom like next to, next to him in the same apartment. And then he starts like waking him up in the middle of the night to go on runs. And, and the first day they go to the gym and he's like, okay, how many pull-ups can you do? And the guy does like seven pull-ups. And David Goggins goes, listen, we're not leaving here to do a hundred pull-ups. And they were there for like four hours. And he was doing like one every minute. The guy was dying. Anyway, so all this crazy stories. He made him jump into the icy, icy lake. And, and he'd wake him up in the middle of the night, take him on these runs in the snow and all this crazy stuff. But imagine, imagine that that happened to you, that all of a sudden you had like David Goggins living in your house. And you had to do whatever he said at any, at any time. Well, you're, you know, you would, you would be obsessed with David Goggins. It'd be like, gosh, get this guy out of here, right? And yeah, there he is at the breakfast table and he's telling me to stop eating and now he's telling me to run and, 
is he going to wake me up now? And you're like sleeping like half asleep and like afraid that he might come into your room, start yelling at you or make you sit in a chair all night, which he also did to this guy. He's like, okay, you're not sleeping in bed tonight. You're sitting in that wooden chair. And the guy's wife was like, what the heck? What, what did you do? Why did you, you agree to this? Why did you agree to this? You wrote a book about it, made some money. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is not Christ, but this is, it's kind of like that with Jesus, right? We have this, we have this force in our life. And he's not there just to bother us and give us a hard time and, and challenge us. But he is, too, because we need to be challenged and we need to be stretched and we need to be called out and we need to be um, encouraged to be better. But he's also there to give us insight and wisdom, support and forgiveness and, and strength and to help us to suffer well when we have to suffer and help us to put things in perspective and Jesus, you say it so clearly, behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. I'm with you always until the end of the age. Maybe some of you guys, maybe some of you guys have had um, exchange students right, move into your house. Or you've had the experience of your parents having a, a baby, right? When you're older and you can remember it. And it's like, wow, this baby's always here and my parents always have to take care of it and someone always has to be with it and it always needs help. Well, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm with you always, right? I'm as, I'm as constantly present in your life as your brother or that exchange student or that new baby in your family. And you're with us in so many different ways, Lord, as our goal, as our inspiration, as our food, Someone to forgive us and help us start again, the sacrament of confession. Someone, Lord, who's calling us to a vocation, and this is a huge question at your age. What does God want of me? What does he want me to do with my life? He's there also to help us to understand things. Right? The disciples, sometimes they don't get... uh, our Lord's parables, and we don't get them sometimes either. Many of them are super understandable. And so they ask our Lord in the gospel, they say, Lord, explain the parable to us. Explain what that means. And that can happen to us, right? Something can happen in the world or in our life. It's like evil. You know, a guy goes and kills over a dozen little kids in a school. It's like evil. That's hard to wrap our minds around. In fact, it's almost impossible. It's called the mystery of evil, the mysterium iniquitatis. Evil's unexplainable. It's so far from God, so far from truth, that it has a certain mystery to it. How can God let that happen? What's the meaning of that? And so in our prayer life, it's not just like, oh, whatever, I'll just like, you know, put up with it until I forget about it and then keep going. No, if that question strikes you, talk to God about it. Go to Jesus and say, look, explain to us the meaning of the parable. Why is there evil? And there's a good answer to that question. I won't answer it now, but there's a good answer to that question. It's a hard answer, but it's a good answer. It's hard to understand, but it's true and good. Meaning of evil, why God allows evil, suffering, And so if we don't understand something that happens to us or happens in the world, 
we can go to Jesus and say, why? Explain to us the meaning of this. If you're all powerful and you're all good and God's all powerful and, and all good, why am I suffering this right now? Why is this happening in the world? Or as you might say these days, wait, what? And that's kind of what people say when they don't understand something. They say, wait, what? Did you ever notice that? Yeah. Okay. It's weird because they didn't say that 20 years ago. You know, these things kind of like, or actually, I can't stand that. Instead of saying, really? People say, actually? Yeah, actually. (laughs) Just say really. Really was a perfectly fine word. I'm sorry, I'm picking on your guys' linguistic habits. I don't mean to make, make fun of you. You're lucky I don't live with you like David Goggins. That'd be terrible. But Jesus does, right? Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And what a wonderful thing, right? To think, well, um, I have God with me at all times. Right? If I want to pray, I don't have to go far. I can just turn to him in my heart, and he's right there, not far from me. St. Augustine says, he's closer to you than you are to yourself. An amazing thing. God is closer to you than you are to yourself. And so to pray, yes, it's good to come to a church. Yes, it's good to go to a quiet place. Yes, it's good to cut out time for it. But any time, you know, you're a little bit tempted, Lord Jesus, help me, deliver me from evil. Help me to be strong. Help me to say no to this. You're a little bit frustrated. Jesus, give me patience. Help me not to lose my charity. Jesus, help me now not to give into anger and to lose charity with someone. You're a little bit lazy and you don't feel like doing your homework. You don't want to end the school year well because it's been a long school year and now you got exams or whatever. Well, Jesus, give me strength. I offer this to you. Help me to, help me to, Finish well. Give me that endurance. Right? Give me the resolve to be tough. To finish the school year well. At any moment, right, Jesus is right there. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, Lord, we let you we let you look at us, Lord. And we let you ask us that question. Who do you say that I am? What do I mean to you? Who am I for you? And we, we let you, Lord, ask us that question that you asked St. Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe all this about Jesus? Do you believe that he's the bread of life? Do you believe that he's divine? that you're connected to. And without him, you can do nothing. Do you believe that you are a member of his body in the church? Do you believe that you need him? Do you believe that you need him to go to heaven and to be a good man on, on, the, on this earth? Without me, you can do nothing. And Lord, like the man who who comes to you after your disciples can't cast out that demon, throws the poor boy into the fire, and you ask him, do you believe I can do this? 
Do you believe I can help you? Do you believe I can cast out this demon from your son? The man is very honest with Jesus. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so to these questions, do I believe all this about Jesus in my life? Maybe that's our best answer. Lord, yeah, I kind of believe it, but help my unbelief. Part of me believes it. Part of me doesn't. Why? Because part of us runs on the principles of the world, right? And according to our own human experience and the principles of the world, we don't need Jesus that much. We don't need God that much. I can work hard and get good grades. I can learn how to play a sport and get the respect of my teammates. I can learn how to be funny or get in good shape. And maybe one day some girl will like you. Probably not. But anyway, um, right? Uh, And so in your own experience, you think, well, I know I can kind of do things without Jesus. He says, without me, you can do nothing. But I can kind of do a bunch of stuff without him. I've done all sorts of stuff without him. As a matter of fact. And there we have to remember something that St. Josemaria said, which is very interesting, that Jesus comes to the fig tree and there's no figs on it, right? But there might have been lots of leaves. And Jesus comes to the fig tree looking for figs, for fruit. There are no figs there. And Jesus curses the fig tree and the next day the fig tree is all withered up. And St. Rosemary used to say something similar about our faith, that we might have lots of leaves in our life. The appearance of having done things, right? The appearance of some fruit, right? The appearance of getting things done on our own, having a life without God. But if there's no figs, right? If there's not what God is looking for, what's the point? It's just going to wither up. And so that's, that's a, a real question. Well, yeah, I might do a lot without God, but what is it worth? Right? If I do something without God, if I'm not doing it for God, if I'm not relying on God, if I'm not trying to please God in it, well, yeah, it might be a bunch of stuff, good grades, girls, a wife eventually. I'm in the top 5% of Halo players in the world. You know, uh, which people, they have these rankings, right? And you might have a lot of leaves, and they might make you happy. I, like, I love leaves. There they are. They're green, and maybe I can roll them up and smoke them or something. Um, right? But they're just leaves. And they're going to they're gonna wither. Right? They don't give life. Right? To have life, eternal life, and life that you pass on to others. You need fruit. And Jesus says this, something very serious. He says about people who who do things for earthly honors and for earthly glory. He says they've had their reward, which is one of the scariest things that he says in the whole gospel. If you do things just for here, God might give you success. He might give you the trophy wife. He might give you the good grades. He might give you the championship on the basketball or the football or the baseball team. And guess what? That's all you're going to get. You've had your reward. It's like God is very good. If you live a worldly life, he might give you a nice worldly life to to, to live. And then you're going to die and go to hell. More or less. Unless you make an act of contrition before. (laughs) But it's risky, huh? 
Where your treasure is, Jesus says, your heart will be. Where's our treasure? And so, Lord, we believe. We believe these things, but help our unbelief. And help our life, Lord, to be more faith-filled. Not just when I'm in church. Not just when I'm thinking about things theoretically. Not just when I'm having conversations about which religion is true with other people. But when I'm doing anything, what's the meaning of it? Who am I with? What am I doing it for? How am I doing it? Why am I doing it? That's a life that's faith-filled. It's motivated by the faith. It exists in the faith. The faith is not just another add-on, right? Yeah, I'm Catholic, so I have these, this aspect of my life. I have to believe these things and I have to act in these ways in certain situations and I have to do this and that. But then in these other things, I think and act and feel just like anyone else. Now, in a certain way, that's, that's going to be the case, right? Like, if you take a free throw, there's not like a Catholic way to take a free throw, right? You take a free throw the way that makes the free throw, right? But you're there as a Christian. And so your sportsmanship is different and, and your attitude towards the game is different. And perhaps you work harder than anyone else because you're doing it for the glory of God. And you love your teammates more. And you're more supportive of your coach. And you go the extra mile. And you're a better athlete. But the way you actually, like, physically cross someone over, right, is the same because that's from God, too, right? God created Kyrie Irving. And you'll never dribble like him, but you can strive. Why did the Celtics lose last night, game six? What the heck? Well, God's providence, so that there would be a game seven, perhaps that's the answer, and they'll win tomorrow night, but perhaps not. But it gets tiring, huh, staying up late for all those games? Anyone stay up? Yeah, okay, good. You can pray for the Celtics if you want. This is a great quote from St. Augustine. St. Augustine says, if it's licit to desire, it's licit to pray for. Isn't that beautiful? Like God is our Father. And so He wants us to ask for any good thing that we want. And so if it's not a sin to want something, it's not a sin to pray for it. You can pray for it. And so if you want to waste some of this prayer, pray for the Celtics to win Game 7 tomorrow night. No, it's not a waste. Do whatever you you want. Do whatever you want, right? God loves you. He's your Father. You're His Son. So He understands those smaller desires and goals. We go to Our Lady, right? She did this. She said with her life, be it done unto me according to your word. I want everything about my life to be God's word, right? What God wants, God's reality, his plan for me. We go to her. Help us to ask and answer these questions. Who do I say that your son is? Do I believe this? Do I believe all these things about him? Who he is for me and who he said I am for him. That I can't live without him and that I'm never far from him. Our Lady, our Mother, Mother of the Word Incarnate, Mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help 
put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.